0: So if you got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me real quick to Matthew chapter 14. I have a special six-hour message which i prepared just for you, and so make sure that you're ready. We should be out of here by seven o'clock tonight, and so here we go in Matthew chapter 14. You know, this is the first time I think I've ever closed a sermon series and then opened it back up again. It's kind of funny. So initially, we were, we were, I was planning on starting a series on Psalms 46 today. And um, just some things happened. And some things happened kind of a little bit beyond my control. But then also, I kind of felt like there was a little bit more to say about John the Baptist. And so we're going to jump into John the Baptist one more time. So can you look at your neighbor and say, one more time. One more time. And we're just going to take a look at a passage of scripture here um, that speaks of his death. And um so again in Matthew chapter fourteen, we're gonna be reading verses one through twelve. And just to remind you, you know, if you haven't been here the last few weeks, um we've been talking about John the Baptist and about how um even before he was born, it was prophesied in in Luke chapter one, it says, He will bring many, he'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their parents to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So even from birth, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with power, and God had a plan for him even from birth. Um, In Matthew chapter 11, it says that among those born of women, there was no one greater than John the Baptist. He was someone that um, was out in the wilderness preparing people, for Jesus. He was preaching a message of repentance, and he was preparing people for Jesus. And he was out in the wilderness with a leather belt and with camel hair. Uh, he was wearing a, a, an outfit made of camel hair, and he was, man, proclaiming the message, which was really cool. And he was eating locusts and wild honey. He was a wild man, and he was out there preparing people uh, for Jesus. And so um, we've just been kind of talking about how, um, although, he, although he was kind of the forerunner for Jesus, we are also forerunners for Jesus as well, right? And so we are also telling people about Jesus and preparing the way for Jesus. And so that's kind of what the whole series has been about. And like I said, I thought I was done, but some things changed, and I have one more week. And so here in Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, it says, At that time, Herod the tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him now it's kind of weird like when you first read this this little portion here, um, it, it almost seems like it's like out of place timeline because it talks about him speaking of, of of John the Baptist being raised from the dead and then and then right after that you see that he's, he's arresting John so it's almost like verse one is like a parenthetical statement where he is uh, uh, the, the the gospel writer is mentioning what what, what Herod said, and then he's He's speaking about what actually happened. So, um, And then in verse 3 it says, Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother's wife. For John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John but was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On John's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guest and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, it says that he promised to give her up to half of his kingdom. And so most, most theologians believe that this dance of Herodias' daughter was a little provocative. And um, most scholars believe that Herodias' daughter was probably somewhere between the age of 12 and 17. So just to kind of give you an idea of what was happening there, kind of a little PG-13 Um, so, um, prompted by her mother, she said, give me, uh, here on a platter, the head of John the Baptist. And the king was distressed, but because of his oath and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Kind of a crazy passage. It's kind of a crazy story. So God, just be with us this morning as we, as we delve into your word. I pray that you'll speak truth and that you'll speak life to us this morning, Father. I pray that your spirit will just do the, the difficult work and that you'll bring conviction and that you'll bring... Oh, just whatever your spirit needs to do, Father, I pray that you will just separate in our hearts the wheat from the chaff. And I pray that um, you'll just have our way with us this morning, just uncover the things that need to be uncovered. I pray that you will just, just speak to us this morning, Father, in your holy name. Amen. So here in this passage of scripture, we have Herod, uh, who arrested John the Baptist. Put him in prison, and once he put him in prison, Herod's wife, uh, well, Herod's wife's daughter uh, danced and um, asked for the head of John the Baptist. Um, Kind of an interesting story. Um, You know, know, I think probably the first time I read this, I thought that this was the same Herod that was mentioned uh, in the Jesus, like in the Christmas story, by Herod the Great. Um, and I don't know if you've, if you've done any research about Herod the Great before but Herod the Great actually most people think had at least nine sons and he killed a lot of them because he was jealous he was kind of a nutty king um, he killed a few of his wives he was filled with jealousy and rage and he was just a psychotic king in fact uh, Josephus a writer, a, a historical writer of the, of the day said that um, uh, probably the only person safe in the, the king's court was the king's pig because literally everyone else was in danger of being killed because of jealousy and rage. And so uh, King Herod had, again, at least had nine sons. He killed at least three of them. And um, one of his sons was actually um, Herod um, Antipas. Um, and um, it talks about here, it says Herod the Tetrarch, Tetarch, and, and that means um, he was a governor of four divisions of the country. And so when Herod the Great died, essentially what he did is he uh, took four of his sons and he put four of his sons in charge. And I actually have a little graph here if you have it, um, Elizabeth. I don't know if you guys can read this very well, but Herod the Great reigned from 37 B.C. um, on. And so he had one, two, three, four wives. Uh, He had Doris, he had... Uh, Marion, Marion, Malthus, and then he had Cleopatra, and out of his, uh, out of his, actually one, two, three, out of his four wives, there he had Antipater, he had Alexander, Aristobulus, uh, Herod Philip the Herod Achilleus, Herod Antipas, who's actually it's talking about here, and Philip the and so, yeah, it's kind of a messed up family tree, you know, if you, if you, if you got, if you got, how many of you guys like, like watching, uh, what is it, uh, Maury, where it's like, you know, oh yeah, this is my brother's sister, uncle, you know, yeah, or, or Jerry Springer, it's like, it's just kind of this crazy family tree where he had a bunch of different wives and he had a bunch of different kids. So this was Herod the Great, okay? And so one of his kids by his fourth wife, Herod Antipas, is actually the guy that's mentioned in this passage of scripture, Okay. And Herod Antipas's brother was... Actually, really, his half-brother was Philip II. Now, now, if you look closely... So, Philip II is over here. If you look closely, um, uh, Herodias is actually Herod Antipas's and Philip II's niece. Do you see that? You guys following me here? Okay, so Herodias uh, was married... To Philip II. So an uncle was married to his niece, which is kind of strange, okay? And um, so they're married. They're living in Rome. And as the story goes, Herod Antipas ended up going to Rome to visit his half-brother Philip. When he went to go visit his half-brother Philip, um, him and Herodias had a spark. And an affair pursued And he fell in love with his brother's wife, but also his niece. Okay, So messed up, very messed up family tree. And so uh, they got together and they said, you know what? Um, Who cares what the law says? Um, Let's make this happen. We love each other. We have these feelings for each other. No one should tell us who to love or how to love. And so um, they got together, and you just see this incredibly dysfunctional family uh, it 's said that herod antipas 's wife feared for her life and fled and um, and then obviously, uh, Herod Antipas stole his brother 's wife, who was also his niece, and so it 's just kind of all messed up and you kind of look at all this, it's like, wow, this entire family tree is really kind of dysfunctional, it's really weird, it's really strange. You know, we talk, here's a guy who's marrying his niece, and it's also his brother's wife, and it's like uh, all sorts of crazy stuff is, is happening there, and they both are dumping their prospective wives, and, and, and Herod's wife flees, and, 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 and Philip's wife, uh, and it's, it's, it's just all messed up. It, 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 you look at it, and it's, it's just strange, it's bizarre. Can you guys agree with me that, with that? It's kind of strange. It's kind of bizarre. And I can imagine that Herod and Herodias, once they you know, kind of fell in love and once they were together, maybe they were hanging out in the palace and they were, maybe they were enjoying a nice dinner, and an attendant comes up to them and says, in their presence, he says, hey, there's this guy in the wilderness who is speaking out against what you're doing. He's speaking out against your lifestyle. And he's speaking and he really he's he's speaking out he's speaking against it for a couple different reasons. First of all, he's speaking out against it because it's incestuous. And second of all, he's speaking out against it because it's adulterous. Um and it's weird because when you look at the text it's 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 not it's not like John the Baptist just spoke to him once. But you look at the text and he's actually speaking to him over and over and over and over again. He's like, You're living in sin. You're living in sin. You're living in sin. You're living in sin. Like, you're living with your niece and your brother's wife. Like, you're living in sin. You're living in sin. He's he's speaking to him over and over and over and over and over again. He's calling him out. He's saying, Listen, you should not be doing this. Now, first, now, now I just got to pause for a moment and say, like, 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 part of me kind of wonders why John the Baptist would even care about this. Like, like, why, like, why not just let Herod and Herodias continue to live in sin? Why not can, just continue to do ministry in the wilderness, you, as we have been talking about you know in the last last couple of weeks? like he had a thriving ministry in the wilderness. We can see that tens of thousands of people were out there in the wilderness, and he was baptizing them and he was speaking in power, he was speaking in authority, he was doing his thing, he was proclaiming the good news, he was preparing the way you know he was, just like, he was he was wearing a sweet leather belt and his, his camel hair, and he was eating locusts and wild like, like he, he was living the life out in the wilderness, so why in the world would he? Would he take time to go and speak against Herod Antipas and say, Herod, listen, listen, like what you're doing is wrong. Like why, why can't, why didn't he just stay out in the wilderness and just keep on doing his own thing? I mean, man, there's, there's, some, there's some benefits to keeping to yourself, right? I mean, there's some benefits to not creating any conflict, Um you know, here's the guy, Herod Antipas, who had life and death in his hands. Here's a guy who, as we can see from Scripture, um, could order to have him beheaded. Why would John the Baptist care about Herod, Antipas, and Herodias? Why would he bother? Why would he, man, he's doing well numerically? he's doing well with his ministry and with his mission and he's 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 going and he's he's talking against the governor and his wife i don't know if you guys know this or not but sins of kings and leaders affects Nations. Let me say that again. Sins of kings and leaders affects nations. And the sins of governments affect people. And when governments promote wickedness and pervert things, it affects everyone and Everything. John was doing something radical. He was calling sin, sin. <laughs> Did you know this morning that God has called you, Rabia, and you, Paul, and you, John, and you, Ken, and you, Sue, and you, you Craig, he's, he's called you to be proclaimers of the gospel. He's called you to be proclaimers of the good news. In fact, in Romans it says this, it says, "How can they call on the one that they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard?" God has called us as the church to be proclaimers of the truth. I could be I could be wrong, I could be completely wrong. But I feel as if, prophetically—I don't know, maybe prophetically from the Lord—I feel as if we are moving into a time, and we have been in a time, where there is a struggle for the truth. You know what I'm talking about. There's a struggle for the truth. It says this in Habakkuk: the 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 righteous are hemmed in with the wicked, so that justice is perverted. Like, we are in a time where there is a struggle for the, for, for the truth. And God is looking for men and women to be people that are proclaimers of the truth. It might cost you something. It cost John the Baptist his head. It might cost you your reputation. But God is looking for people that are willing to be proclaimers of the truth. Now, I don't know what that looks like specifically in your specific situation. I don't know what that looks like in your life specifically. But I know through biblical principle that God has called us to be a church, to be a people, to be a remnant that does not remain silent in the face of sin. John did something radical. He, he called sin, sin, sin. He's like, listen, uh, Herod, I know you're powerful, I know you're popular, I know you're the man, whatever, but listen, you're l- living with your niece slash brother's wife. He did something radical. He, he called sin a sin, and he, he was a proclaimer of the gospel. He was a proclaimer of the truth. Now, it's, it's interesting because when, when, when you look at Herod's perspective, when you, look at, uh, when you look at Herod's response to John the Baptist, it's it's. it's it's strange. It's really strange. Okay, I mean, first of all, he cut his head off. Like that's that's pretty strange. Like I mean, and I don't know if that was common back then to cut someone's head off if you disagreed with them. But um, so that's kind of weird. But, but 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 if you actually if you actually look at at, at, at at Herod, Antipas, I would actually say that he seemed a little conflicted about John the Baptist. So there's this guy in the wilderness who's proclaiming the the you know oh repent to the kingdom of God you know the 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 winning fork in his hand and saying all these things and and who's calling him out and he he really seems and I really what I had to do is I had to take a step back and I had to I had to step back and look at uh, Matthew's uh, view. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew's view, and then I also looked at Mark's view as well. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you flip, flip, flip uh, real quickly over to Mark chapter 6 as well. So Matthew chapter 14, I'm just going to read verses 3 through 5 again, but then I'm also going to read Mark chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. And you're going to see what I'm saying here, that I, I really think he seemed like he was conflicted in his view of John the Baptist. Okay, So, so what we just read is, now Herod had arrested John the Baptist, bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. So he bound him and threw him in prison and wanted to kill him, but didn't because he was afraid of the people. Um, so, 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 yeah, so, so, hold on, let me read it. So John, uh, no, nah, I jumped ahead of myself. Now Herod had arrested John the Baptist and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother, uh, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill him, but he was afraid of the people because they considered him a prophet. So, if you look at that again, he said, uh, in Matthew's gospel, it says that he bound him, he threw him in prison, he wanted to kill him, and he was afraid of the people. Do you see that? Now, if you go over and you look at Mark's gospel, it says, so Herodias nursed a a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. So he feared him, he protected him, according to the Gospel of Mark. Um, He knew he was righteous and holy, and he liked to listen to him. So if you look at the two Gospels, it kind of gives two, different, two completely different perspectives. On the one hand, he bound him and threw him in prison and wanted to kill him. On the other hand, he feared him, protected him, thought he was righteous and holy, and liked to listen to him. So, I don't know, like when, when I look at Herod Antipas, I think, man, this guy really kind of seems like he was conflicted. Did he hate him or did he love him? Did he respect him or did he want to kill him? Um, he didn't want to hurt him because of the people. And then he, he, he did end up killing him because of the people. You know, it's like, man, he, it's like one minute he's kind of going one way and the next minute he's going the other way. And One gospel says one thing, another gospel says another thing. Again, on the one hand, he, he bound him and threw him in prison and wanted to kill him and hated him. And then on the other hand, he feared him and wanted to protect him and thought he was righteous and holy and wanted and liked to listen to him. When I, when I read that, it's again. He's, he really, I feel like he seems conflicted. And when I read that, it makes me think, and makes me realize that he wanted to hurt him because of the people, and he ended up killing him because of the people. Makes me realize that opinions always change the crowd always changes and what's cool and popular today and trendy today isn't necessarily what's cool and popular and trendy tomorrow and I think if we try to make decisions based on the crowd or based on what's popular or based on What's cool or trendy, it will eventually lead us down a road of conflict, compromise, and regret. Herod was conflicted. He hated him, and yet it looks like he respected him. He was conflicted he. He bound him and threw him in prison and wanted to kill him. And then at the same time, he feared him, protect him, and he thought he was righteous and holy and liked to listen to him. He was conflicted. It almost seems like he was double-minded, doesn't it? Almost seems like he was double-minded. It's, 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 like, it's like, I don't know if you've read the book of James before, but it's, it, 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 it's a book that was written uh, in the first century to the persecuted church. And James, what he's doing is he's talking about the trials and tribulations of the church, and he's talking about the things that were, that were happening to them. And a lot of the first century church was getting tortured and uh, being killed because of their faith. What had happened is there was actually this guy named Saul who was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, and uh, they seized a man named St- uh, Stephen, and they, 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 they brought him before the, the, the court, and they stoned him, and they killed him. And, and, and after his death, there was a great influx of persecution against the church and so James is writing to this persecuted church that was facing all sorts of things and so i i feel like a lot of times it's it's often in our trials it's often in our tribulations that it's a lot of times it's in those moments where we begin to maybe be a little double-minded. You know what I'm talking about? Like we think, oh, okay, well, maybe this is okay, or maybe that's okay, or if someone else is doing it, then maybe I can do it. And you know, so and so seems like a good person, so if they're doing it, maybe I can do it. Or you know, I saw someone's social media post, and this looks super acceptable, and they seem so great. Like we, it's, it's it's like it's kind of like in our trials, in our tri- it's it's often then I feel like the, the enemy comes in. And he begins to work and do things in our life, And, and it's interesting because he, 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 said, he says specifically this in, in James. And, and this is kind of like the new international Evan version. He says, listen, don't doubt God in your storm. And he goes on to say, such a person is double-minded, unstable, and all he does. On the one hand, he wanted to listen. On the other hand, he didn't. On the one hand, I feel like, man, we, when we're going through trials, uh, we want to serve God. And then in the next moment, maybe we don't want to serve him. In one moment, we want to be generous, and the next moment, we don't. In one moment, we want to live our lives righteous, and the next minute, we don't. And I feel like James is speaking, and I think this relates back over to Herod Antipas as well, that, listen, if we're, if we're double-minded, we will become unstable in everything that we do. Double-minded literally means having two minds or two souls, having two different desires. Listen, our worldview should be rooted in Christ alone. Although we live in the world, we are not of the world. We are proclaimers of the gospel. We are proclaimers of the truth. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. I think that being double-minded, having our eyes not focused on the prize, has been an issue of God's people since the, beginning of the, since the beginning of time. We can go all the way back to Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis. People are living a, a type of Christ, but are also living... For themselves worship team can come back up and I guess I want to ask you this morning is are we people are we at church that are focused on the truth of the, of the, of the of, 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 fo- fo- focusing on the truth of the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ or are we being double-minded? God, I know you are here this morning. God, I know that you're present this morning. God, I know that you are powerful. I know that you um, are full of mercy and grace, Father. And God, I pray right now for this church. I pray that you will minister to them. I pray that you'll speak to them, Father. I pray that you'll use them in a powerful way this week and today, Father, as they uh, go home and they they spend time with their family and they go about their tasks, and tomorrow as they uh, celebrate the freedom in the 4th of July, Father. And God, I just pray that um, we will be people that are proclaimers of your truth, God, I pray that we will not step back from what you've spoken, God. Your word is mighty and powerful, and your word never changes, and you never change. You are our fortress, and you are our rock. You are our steady help in time of trouble, Father. I pray that we will not latch ourselves to... Um, a, a shaky foundation, but that we will latch ourselves to you, Father. I pray that you will guide us and direct us and protect us, Father. I pray that we will be people moved to the Spirit. I pray that we will not be afraid to speak the truth in love, Father. I pray that we'll be full of mercy and compassion, but that we, and that, we will also be, that we will be also people full of grace, God. But God, we know that there's a day that's coming when we all stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he will look to us and he will separate the sheep from the goats and he will separate the, the shaft from the grain, Father. And I just pray that when we stand before you one day that you'll be able to look at, look at us and say, well done, Good and faithful servant, I pray that you will give us boldness and that you will give us um, power and that your spirit will equip us, Father, so that we don't back away from what you've called us to do, Father. We know that what you have called us to, you will equip us for, Father, and I just pray that we will, again, step out in faith and not step back in fear, Father. I pray that you will be glorified and magnified in this place, Father. I pray that we will not be stepping in the world and then stepping back into faith and then stepping into the world and then stepping back into faith. But God, I pray that we will choose this day who we will serve. God, I pray that you will raise up leaders who will step out and be bold and proclaim the goodness of your word and that we will be a light in this world and that we will be salt in this world, Father. I pray that you will be magnified, and that you will be glorified. God, we know that upon this rock, you're going to build your church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, Father. We, we know that you are good, we know that you are kind, but we also know that you are just. And we know that someday, again, we will stand before your throne. And God, we just pray that as we sing this song one more time, that you will move in our midst, and that you will change in us what you need to, and that you will be glorified in our lives in your holy name.